In Fenster bei ihm in sein Hoys. Er heut auf sein Kopf und dem Seifer und Röhr. Stiller hat Punkt wie zu sich. Der verklappt es sein Fenster bei Nacht, das euch spät. Er fährt ihm mit sehr ich. Rebaden lasst wieder runter sein Kopf. Warft euch von Seifer die Augen heraus. Und sich weg in dem lichtigen, heiligen, weiten Ein so. Leben, was es ist, nicht wach und es ist nicht in Schlaf. Wieder hat er mit sehr still und geklappt, in Fenster bei ihm in sein Haus. Wieder hat er sich geschwind aufgekracht, von lichtigen Weggesarreus. Ei, wieder erhäut auf sein Kopf und er redet, stiller hat Punkt wie zu sich. Wer klappt es im Fenster bei Nacht, das euch spät, denn fette mir mit sehr ich. Good morning. It's usually good evening, but today it's good morning. Last night we had a blackout for a little while, just before the shear needed to start. So I didn't record at the time of the shear, even though I gave the shear for a couple of people over here in the dark. Then it became light in the middle of the shear. Uh, so I am re-recording, and this is in the morning. So it's nice to be giving a shear in the morning, so good morning. Uh, this week's shear and CD sponsor was... a. Both the Shir and the CD. This is by my dear friend Reb Chaim Binyamin Burstin. And this is in honor of his birthday, which was yesterday on the 14th of Sivan. And also in honor of his wife in, uh, for their anniversary. His wife, Hannah Bela, um, they're celebrating their anniversary on the 15th of Sivan. So first, may Hashem bless you, Reb Chaim Binyamin with a really, really, really good gebench to year, much mazel, much good, much light, and all, all the good, to you and your family, and may Hashem bench you and your wife with uh, many, 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 many countless happy years together, gesund, and nachas from the children, and parnasa barachava, and only, only good and wonderful things. Thank you so much for this dedication. A sheer sponsor for tonight was Rabbi Lazar Frankel. This was an honor, or is an honor, of his father and grandfather's yard site. One on the 19th and one on the 21st of Sivan. His father's name is Mishulim Zalman ben Chanoich Henech. Olav Shalom. His grandfather's name is Chanoich Henech ben Shimon Zalman. And may they both have a tremendous, tremendous, a wonderful, great aliyah to the greatest of heights. And in the schus of this shir, may it carry their souls even higher. And may they channel lots and lots of bracha to you and your family and everything uh, for abundance and uh, brachas in everything imaginable and unimaginable. 
in Bonachayim Ezoin the Revicha Nachas from the family, Parnasar Barchava, and only only good things and gesund and happiness. Thank you for that dedication. Another dedication was by George and Ivana Brawl. And this is in honor also of two yard sites. One is today on the 15th of Sivan. This is George's mother's yard site, Mahin Bas Talat. And tonight is Ivana's father's yard site. I think it's the first yard site on the 16th of Sivan. Avram Najatola Ben Rabbi HaKohen. Um, may their neshamas have a very, very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. And may they be a channeling down and looking out for you and your family and bringing lots of bracha to everyone to inspire everybody's heart to Torah, to Yerushalayim, and to love of Hashem and to bring a lot of, a lot of material blessing, both um, material and spiritual bless, blessings in everything that you need and Parnasa Bar and only a lot, a lot of brachas and good health for the entire family. Um, the CD sponsor this week, or a second CD sponsor this week, was by the Abitan family. And um, this is in honor of the yard site of a very dear friend of mine. Um, I can't, still having a hard time wrapping my mind around this great loss of this incredible human being, um, Mayor Abitan Olavashalem, Mayor Ben Shlomo, um, the best friend of so many people, um, a, a human being that's hard to describe, just that if you have someone that's alive, Mayor didn't live just because he wasn't Chasvashalem dead, Mayor lived every moment of his life with full life. When you spoke to him, you felt the pulsating force of, of life, which is indescribable, joy and life. And most of all that I remember Mayer, and I think everybody remembers Mayer, is here you have a human being that was intolerant of another moment of exile, because exile is death. It's the opposite of life. And a human being who's fully alive, who's with real life, can't stand Gullus and just wants Giyula now. Uh, may have been Shlomo's neshama on the 21st of Sivan. May his neshama have the greatest aliyah to the greatest of heights. But most of all, may he storm the heavens above to the Kisaya covered and put in, and already say to the Abishter in the way that only Mayor can say it, you know, <laughs> what's this Mishagas? Enough is enough. It's time for the Giyula Shalema. Anyways, the family is inviting everyone on the 21st of Sivan, that's going to be this coming Sunday, June 26th. Um, to a to um, a uh, yard site suda. This is at the base Menachem Shul on Pico 926 9126 West Pico Boulevard after Myriv. Uh, so I want to assume about 9 o'clock at night. That's this Sunday night. Um, please go join. Say Lachai and be part of it. I would be there but I'm going to be out of town which by the way makes me announce that next week's Monday night there will not be a class. Um, we will resume the following week. So um, may the, his neshama have a great ali again and mam shech a lot of brachas to the entire family. Thanks to all those that have dedicated. Um, this week is parshas ba'aloischa. And uh, in the end of the parsha, I want to I concentrate on an interesting pasuk at the conclusion of the parsha. 
very, very important. Uh, I mean, the whole Torah is very important. This is very special. We know that the end of the parsha relates to the story that we're supposed to remember every day, that which happened to Miriam. It's supposed to help us watch our mouth and not not be free to just say whatever comes into our minds, but to think about, to be vigilant about what we're saying, to be careful with lashon hara. Miriam, the greatest tzaddikus, uh, said something um, about her brother Moshe, and as a result of that, she spoke to Aaron, her brother, and um, speaking disparagingly about Moshe Rabbeinu. And she was punished that Hashem gave her tzaras, he gave her an affliction. So when the Torah narrates this story, let me go all the way, this is in Perik Yudabez, chapter 12, in Parshas Baloischa. The Pasik says, Miriam that Miriam and Aaron spoke about Moshe, Al Isha in regards to the Ethiopian woman that he took. Kiisha Kushis Lakach, because he took an Ethiopian woman. Um and they said, So first of all, what does it mean that Moshe married an Ethiopian woman? Rashi says it means he married a very, very beautiful woman. And uh, just like everybody will agree to the darkness of a uh, of a Ethiopian person, that their skin is very, very dark, uh, so too everybody has to agree in the beauty of Moshe's wife. Okay, what's so bad? And what is so problematic that Moshe married a beautiful woman? What is wrong over here? Is he dafka not allowed to marry? I mean, Avram also married a beautiful woman, Sarah. What's the problem? So if you're reading it just plain, you just don't really get an understanding. But we have Rashi, of course, and Rashi tells us. The problem wasn't that he married her. The problem was that he separated from her. So Rashi learns we're talking about Zipporah, the wife of Moshe, and... Um, she was an Ethiopian. She was a Midianite woman. Um, that she, she, um, Moshe separated from her was because from when Moshe spoke to God on the mountain, Hashem had told, and then Hashem had told all the Jewish people to separate from their wives for the occasion of Matan Torah. But everybody had permission to return to their wives and live normal lives because Judaism does not require or does not in any way even aspire to a life of separation, a life of abstinence. Quite to the contrary, our job is to be a to be a holy people on the earth, to be a heavenly people on the earth. That's our job, to live a, a holy, godly life even when we're on earth, which means that all of our physical doings should be done in a, to bring sanctity into the material, which includes also family life. Um, however, that was an exception. It was one exception. That was Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu needed to be, uh, could not continue. Hashem did not give him permission to go back to his wife. So the, all the 40 years in the desert, Moshe did not have relations with his wife. And the reason for that was, was because, as we're going to see, Hashem explains later to Miriam. Now Miriam did not know, and Aaron did not know that this was the cause. That Moshe Rabbeinu separated from his wife because God had told him so. They thought it was his own feeling that he feels that he's superior and that he's so holy and he can't live with a woman. And that was, that's the reason why Moshe separated from his wife. Um, however, it was explicitly by, the, by Hashem's instruction. And the reason is because Moshe Rabbeinu had to be ready every moment that God would come speak to him. And if Moshe would have had relations, physical 
intimate relations with his wife, so then he would be Tameh, because the Tumah, even if you go to the mikvah immediately, the Tumah really lasts until the next evening. Uh, the Tumah, it's called the Tvul Yoim, when someone is Tameh. For instance, a Kohen, if he was not allowed to work in the base of Mikdash, a day after he had material relationships, he would have to uh, go to the mikvah that day and wait till the next night in order to be able to go into the base of Mikdash and officiate. So Moshe Rabbeinu, because he has to be ready at the drop of a hat, that God should speak to him at any moment, would not, was, was instructed by God to always to remain separated. So that was what, what, again, Miriam doesn't know this, so she spoke disparagingly uh, to Aaron, and Moshe thinks he's so great, and that he separates, and what do you mean? Uh, Hashem also speaks to us. Did Hashem only speak to Moshe? Hashem also speaks to us. And God heard. Fine. And then the Pasuk goes ahead and describes that, um, now by the way, I just want to say an interesting thing I saw from the Dazikain in Mibalatos, the first time I've seen this, he learns differently when, they, when she said that when she spoke against Moshe, that Moshe Rameinu took this Ethiopian woman, it means literally an Ethiopian woman. And this is not referring to Tzipporah, the wife of Moshe. It's referring to a second wife that Moshe had, which was a queen of Ethiopia, similar to Shlomo Melech, who married uh, Queen Sheba. Moshe also married an Ethiopian queen. Because he brings, according to the Medrash, there's a Medrash that says that Moshe lived during the time that he escaped from Midian. Moshe Rabbeinu at some point uh, went to Ethiopia. And he became very famous over there. Maybe he was a king. Actually, he, he became the king of Ethiopia for 40 years. And he had married this Ipi- Ethiopian princess. And she's the queen of Ethiopia. And now she was his wife. She was actually a black woman from Ethiopia. And the, the, um, the Daza Canaan from Balitosa says that's what Miriam spoke against Moshe. Not about his separation from her, but for his marriage again with her. And what was her problem? She said that Moshe thinks he's like an elitist higher than all the Jewish people and that he can't marry one of us. He has to go marry outside. The fact that he married a non-Jewish woman, obviously he was her, of course, and she converted, but the idea, the fact that he has to marry someone who's not from the Jewish uh, people is because he thinks he's greater. So they said, we marry Jewish uh, men and women and we are, Moshe and said, we also are prophets. So if it's not beneath us to take a Jewish woman, why did Moshe think that he has to go and get some exotic woman out from somewhere else and not marry a woman from, from the fold, from within the Jewish people. Um, in any case, that's uh, an interesting pirish. Then God calls, so it says immediately, Hashem spoke, called out to, to Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. He called them all three out. He told them all to come outside. To Ushlashtachem, come out of Olamo to the Olamo, and they all go out. Then it says, Vayered Hashem, Hashem descended Ba'amad Anan on a cloud of glory. And he stood Pesach Oil by the entrance of the tent, and, and Hashem called to Aaron, to Miriam, and they went out, the two of them went out. So first he calls them all three out. It's happened in the middle of the night, so he like wakes them up. I don't know if they were sleeping, whatever it is. He wakes them up, he calls them all three out. And then he separates Aaron and Miriam from Moshe. So um, the Pasuk says actually he called to them suddenly. So Rashi says an interesting thing that Hashem had done it in a time when both Aaron and Miriam had had um, intimate relations with their, with, their, with their spouses. And therefore they were both in an impure state. And this was the lesson that Hashem wanted to teach them, that hey, 
And of course, this made them very uncomfortable. But God is speaking to them, and they had enough time to like become to prepare themselves. And it's exactly that what Hashem wanted to say. This was an explanation why Moshe Rabbeinu had to act in the way that he acted, had to be separated from his wife. Anyways, Hashem um, chastises them or rebukes them, and he says, "Shimunod um, varai, listen to my words." Hashem, if your prophecies. Uh, that you have a prophecy. This is just a, a, a image, Mara, an appearance. You know, you think you compare yourself to Moshe and your prophecy, it's not, not exactly. If Hashem, if I speak to anybody, it's in, it's in a dreamlike state. Not so my servant Moshe. He's the one most trustworthy in my house. When I speak to him, I speak mouth to mouth. It's not in riddles. He has the clearest vision. As Rashi, we learn in Spaklaria Hamiira, he sees through a very clear glass, not through a frosted glass. Other ones, when they have a Navua, it's like a frosted glass where you have some kind of an image, but you don't see clearly. Moshe Rabbeinu sees a very clear, he sees the image of God, and therefore his level of prophecy is way beyond you. Don't even, don't even think you're in the same league. Why didn't you? Why weren't you afraid to speak against my servant Moshe? And it says, Hashem got upset at them and he left. And then Miriam was inflicted with saras. Moshe davens for her. Whatever. That's the story. However, I did leave out one pasuk. The pasuk says right before Hashem speak calls to Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. After it says that Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moshe. Pasuk Gimel, the Pasuk says, Va'ish Moshe anav mi'oid mikol ha'adam adama. Moshe Rabbeinu is the most, the most humble human being from all human beings alive on the face of the planet, the face of the earth. Moshe is the most humble person. The question over here is, why does God, why does the Torah give a compliment to Moshe, tell us about Moshe's humility right over here? I mean, we're in the middle of a story. In the middle of it, the Torah drops this Pasuk in, a description about Moshe, that Moshe is the most humble person. Why over here? Now, okay. So, I mean, the, if Moshe Rabbeinu was still going to live, um, I don't know exactly when this story, this, this story happened right uh, at the beginning of the 40 years, yeah. This is before the Jewish people, were, still happened at Har, like, they left Har Sinai already, and they were uh, on their way to Eretz Yisrael, this before, the, this, before the story of the spies. So this is at the beginning of the 40 years, so Moshe Rabbeinu was still going to be alive another 40 years, no time yet for eulogies to give a eulogy about Moshe, speak about his qualities and the great man he was. Why over here does the Torah suddenly tell us that Moshe is the most humble being? I mean, you can say the simple thing is and they were accusing Moshe of arrogance. He thinks he's so great. So the Pasuk is saying, that's what the Dazakanims, especially when they were saying, he thinks he's so great and he, went, he has to marry outside of the fold. The Pasuk is saying, that's not true. Moshe didn't Moshe is the most humble being, and that's not the reason why he married this woman. That was, the, as the Dazakanim for Balatosva says, this was Eis um, Hashem, this was from God that he should marry this woman. Whatever, it was a God bashert, shidduch, godly, godly ordained. It's not because of his chas of his haughtiness. Um, the Ramban says, the reason why the Torah says this statement that Moshe uh, over here was the most humble Nachman, uh, the most humble of all people so Nachmanides explains Ramban the reason is because it's explaining this gives us understanding why God interfered over here why is Hashem coming in in the middle of all of this and um, defending Moshe Rabbeinu so the Pasuk is saying is because Moshe wouldn't defend himself 
was because Moshe Rabbeinu would not defend himself on his own, he wouldn't explain himself, because he was so humble, so it didn't like ruffle his feathers, the fact that she said something against him. All right, so Moshe is going to be quiet. And especially according to what Mepharshim say, of course, Moshe, you can ask the question, Moshe didn't defend himself because he doesn't know about it. It's being spoken behind his back. But chas v'shalom that Miriam would speak behind the back of Moshe. What's the purpose of it? Why is she speaking to Aaron? If she has a problem, go speak to Moshe about it. Why is she speaking? I mean, that's when, you, when you have an issue with somebody and you feel they need a rebuke, especially Miriam, she's his older sister. I mean, if anybody's going to rebuke, who's going to tell Moshe something? I mean, he's Moshe. He's the, he speaks to God, just gave them the Torah. I mean, who's going to spell Moshe? The only one who can tell him something, obviously, is his wife and his, his, and his older sister. So maybe she has a duty. She has a duty to fix a problem if she sees that her little brother uh, needs a little, uh, needs a little r- reprimanding. So, okay, so she has to go speak to him. So go speak to him openly. So actually, it says that, um, the Archaim says it, and it's really from a Sifri, that she did, that she took up this issue with Aaron in front of Moshe. And the Sifri actually says, it's learned out from the words, it's interesting, the end of Pasuk Bey is the beginning of Pasuk Gimel. It says, Vayishma Hashem, and Hashem heard. Seeming to imply that only God heard. But the next pasuk, ve'ish Moshe ma'oy, that Moshe was very humble. So the Sifri learns it, va'yishma Hashem va'ish Moshe, that Hashem heard and Moshe heard. Why did Moshe hear? Because she said it in front of Moshe. It wasn't hiding it. She said it. Archaim says explicitly. She said it to Moshe Rabbi. But because of Moshe's extreme humility, va'ish Moshe ma'oy, Moshe didn't answer. Okay, you know what. <laughs> She's accusing him for arrogance, and Moshe's thinking, maybe I am arrogant, you know, maybe I do have a problem. <laughs> he, he, he's taking it. Moshe Rabbeinu would take it quietly, and he wouldn't, uh, you know, maybe I have to do tshuva. <laughs> you know, it's like the Baal Shem Tov says, that when you hear something, you have, it's, it's a teaching, in Avodah Hashem. So Moshe immediately hears, Oy vei, gavald, I'm, I'm probably, you know, I'm, 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 I, I, I'm a haughty person, who knows what. I mean, he knows he's not guilty from this, but why is he hearing this? So he's taking it. But the Ebershter doesn't want, so if Moshe is not going to defend himself because of his humility, so the Ramban says, so now Hashem needed to come and, and, and defend him. That's why the, Eber, the Pasuk says it here. And the Arachayim emphasizes it even stronger. Moshe couldn't answer for two reasons. The simple reason is, again, he doesn't even feel he has to answer because, because of his humility. If someone is arrogant, they can't stand that someone, someone criticizes them. But Moshe is willing to accept criticism, number one. Number two, even if he wants to explain to them, because, you know, really, even if you're humble, but if, you're, if someone tells you you're doing something wrong and you need to continue doing this, continue behaving this way and not change. Now, Moshe could not accept this criticism and change because he was instructed by God to be separated from, from Tzipporah, from his wife. So he couldn't change. So he has, to, he has to defend himself, but he can't. Why couldn't he defend himself? Because the defending of himself would have required of him saying to them, I'm sorry, my dear brother and sister, but I can't be compared to you because my prophecy is in a whole different league. I'm on a whole different level than you. I, God speaks to me all the time. I have to be ready for Hashem to dwell upon me instantaneously. So there is no comparison between me and you. So uh, don't, you know. But that would require, so to speak, Moshe to toot his own horn and to like say that I'm greater than you. So that's why Hashem had to defend him. So that's why the Pasuk comes in over here, according to the Arachayim, to tell us why this explains the, the reaction that happens that Hashem takes out Aaron and Miriam and, 
and and um, finishes and does Moshe's business for him. And that's that explanation. But there is another explanation over here, and that is Mefarshim um, say um, that this is explaining the next psukim that is going to um, emphasize and it's going to speak of Moshe Rabbeinu's greatness in prophecy that no one else can compare to such clear vision such absolute uh, uh, connection to God like Moshe has face to face I speak to him the Torah is giving you an understanding what's Moshe's quality that he was able to deserve or experience such high level prophecy way beyond everybody else so the Pasuk, and so the Pasuk is saying that the prerequisite for prophecy are humility. Humility is the Tanai. So the Yismach Moshe, another one of the great Hasidic masters and Rebbes, says exactly this, that this is the, the reason, that, because the Torah is trying to explain, uh, does God show favoritism? I mean, just, just out of nowhere to pick one prophet and make him greater? I mean, there must be a reason for it. What? What is the reason why the Abishter exalted one human being above everybody else? So the Torah is saying that is attributed to Moshe Rabbeinu being the most humblest of all human beings. Meaning, but here he emphasizes the idea that Moshe Rabbeinu, with Pasuk says, is anav mikala adam asher al adama. He's humble from every person that's on the face of the earth. What's the emphasis? That he's humble from every person that's on the face of the earth. We know that there are various different levels of humility. But the highest attainments of humility were by the highest tzaddikim. And who are the greatest tzaddikim that were the, 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 the most humble of all? So we know that there are three people that stood out in extreme humility. And they are Av- Avram Avinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, and David HaMelech. David HaMelech, when he speaks, King David, when he speaks about himself in Tehillim, says, ish. I am a worm. I'm not even a person. I'm, but, I'm just a tiny little worm. I'm a tailas. I'm a worm. <laughs> a worm. And he couldn't compare himself even to a squirrel. A worm. A little bug. He saw himself like a bug. Okay, that's pretty humble. Right? A bug, I mean, do, you, do you think that a bug, ta- how, how much offense can a bug take? That's someone who offended him. That's David HaMelech. He, 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 he's a man of truth. He said himself, I'm, I'm a bug. I'm, I'm a worm. Avram Avinu said about himself, I am dust and ashes. Avram couldn't even see himself as a bug. Avram, the man who influenced the world probably more than any human being ever to live. Because Avram turned the world around to God, began the process of Tikkun Olam, even just from a historical, scientific, take the, the religious element out of it, Avram is responsible for all of the, the advance of humanity. Because the monotheistic belief that Avram brought to the world is the root base for all the values that allowed the world for human beings to live in the cohesiveness and in the manner that has brought civilization to where it is now. Um, it, it requires a great 
cohesiveness and a um, tolerance and an interaction between peoples to be able to have created whatever humanity has brought to the world. So all the benefits that we have from the way the world is today over five, the jungles of the cavemen of, of, of 5,000 years ago, it's Avram Avinu. So they're talking about the most, the most, the greatest contributor to man, to, to the history of the world is, is Avram Avinu. Yet he feels himself as the most unworthy human being in the world. He's not even a bug. He says about himself, I am dust and ashes. It's an inanimate, I'm dirt, that's what I am. And he really felt that way. He's a man of truth, as we said earlier. Awesome humility, even deeper than Dov and But yet dirt is something. Dirt is a metzias. Dirt has substance. It is something. Um, but then there is but then there is Moshe Rabbeinu and Moshe Rabbeinu's humility is even deeper than Avram Avinu because Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't say that he's dust and ashes Moshe Rabbeinu says Va'anachnu, and we are he says about him and his brother Aaron Ma, we are what we are what means we are what what when you say what Meaning, what is it? There is nothing. We are literally nothing. Nothing meaning nothing. Not even the existence of an inanimate piece of sand. Moshe's humility was so so deep, so powerful, that he did not even consider himself to be anything. Absolutely nothing. Because dust and ashes is still it's still something. It it has some substance. Moshe is beyond any substance. He is utterly nothingness. So Moshe's another is on the deepest level. This is really this idea of the three levels of humility. Yismach Moshe brings it, but it's it's something that says already in Sefer Hashla about the three, and that's the meaning of the pasuk when it says Ve'ish Moshe and the man Moshe Anov was humble. Mikal ha'adam from all men. The word adam, mikal ha'adam. The word adam, the acronym of the word adam, is stands for Avram, David, Moshe. Amazing. The word adam is Avram, David, and Moshe. The three humble people. And Moshe Rabbeinu is humble, mikol ha'adam, more than everybody, more than Avram, and more than David, and he is the mem, he is the ultimate of humility. And now, but what makes Moshe Rabbeinu humbler than, than David HaMelech, and more humble than, than, um, than Avram, is as follows. The Pasuk is saying that too. Yismach Moshe says. It says, Where does a, a bug, Davon HaMelech is a bug. Where does a bug crawl? The, 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 the bug goes on top of the earth. So Davon HaMelech feels himself like a creature, a very lowly creature, because on top of the earth, you're not getting too far above the earth when you're a bug. He's a talas, a worm. A worm is not getting too high above the earth. But it's still above the earth. 
But then there is the Adama itself, the earth. And Avram Avinu sees himself like earth. And Moshe Rabbeinu is not even earth. So Mikol HaAdama Asher Alpinei HaAdama. That's his ultimate humility. That is the explanation why the Pasuk is going to continue, why there's such incredible prophecy to Moshe. So let's understand why does prophecy come as a, as a result of humility. So the Yismach Moshe's explanation is because he brings the idea from the Baal Shem, he doesn't bring it in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, but it is brought in Svarim many times in the name of the Baal Shem Tov. Really, I just found that it really originates already in a, in a medrash as well. It says in the Pasuk, Hashem Tzilcha, Hashem is your shadow. And what does it mean that Hashem is your shadow? So the Baal Shem Tov explains that anything a person does is automatically, instantly mimicked by his shadow. It's like looking in the mirror. Whatever you do, the mirror is going to reflect. The shadow of a person does instantly what you do. Hashem is your shadow means that Hashem dances along with us in exactly the way we act. God acts similar to the idea, midah keneged midah, measure for measure. They were talking more about punishments, but the idea is that Hashem acts with us exactly. We create the divine, the divine uh, uh, flow towards us. We're actually, you know, it says that if a person is besimcha, that causes Hashem to deal with him in joy, because we create, Hashem is, Hashem is defining himself and, and, and contracting himself to be in a relationship with us in accordance to our continents and in accordance to the way we are with him. So what does it take for Hashem to communicate with a human being? What does it take for Hashem to relate to a human being? Now think about that for a moment. God who creates the cosmos. He creates all, everything that is, is created by Hashem, and exclusively by God, without anybody helping Him. What does He create? <laughs> A magnificent creation. We can't wrap our minds around even the physical universe, let alone the spiritual worlds, and spiritual worlds, and on and on, and angels. And I mean, it's very, very impressive. And how did God create all of this? It says with one breath, or with two letters, this world and the world to come, which is not even right, the, the most expansive worlds that are going to be later in the future, that we don't even, right? I and no eye has ever beheld their exquisite beauty and, and incredible. Yet, incredibility, yet, it's, a, it's created by Hashem with a letter, with a thought. That means it's a, it, was, it was a non... All of this was an effortless and remains an effortless non-event. Non, uh, non it's as if it, nothing happened. In Hasidus it explains as if, as if God didn't do anything. Kula can make kolachshiv because His greatness is not measured because He created this magnificent world. So this is God, God on the one hand. And then you have a human being. No matter... It would make a difference who the human being is. But a human being, that's what it is. A human being of flesh and blood. And Hashem talks to that human being. That doesn't make any sense. What does it take for God to do that? The reason it can be done is because God is... The only explanation it, it could be done is because of God's omnipotence. It's so absurd that Hashem should speak to someone. That's why there were people who had a hard time believing in the concept of prophecy, even though they believed in God, because it's absurd 
Yet, if you say that God can't do that, then you're limiting him. So Hashem can do something that is utterly absurd and even laughable. Yet the Ebershtu can do, because he can do whatever he wants. And he chose and he desired that he wants to have a relationship with someone. But that is Hashem's humility. That's Hashem's unbelief. It's like, it's like us sitting down and you one afternoon and going out for coffee with a little ant. Imagine, it's ridiculous. It's obviously very humble of a person to do that. And over here it's ridiculously more, infinitely, endlessly more insane. In the place where you find, Rabbi Yechanan says, in the place where you find God's greatness, that's where you find his humility. So Hashem is infinitely humble to lower himself down to speak to a nobody of a, of a human being. In order to activate this humility, in order for Hashem, because Hashem can be humble, he can be exalted, in order to activate this humility, again, what did we say earlier? Hashem is our shadow. We attract exactly from God what we are. So when a person exhibits and is humble, so that triggers, so to speak, humility above. So that's why the most attractive feature that creates the most important element that brings about prophecy and Ruach HaKodesh and Ashra Sashchina and the dwelling of the Shechina is humility. Because when we humble ourselves down, 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 low, 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 we cause God to do the same thing that Hashem also contracts Himself and comes low, 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 low. The ultimate humble person is Moshe Rabbeinu. Precisely because of that, Moshe Rabbeinu is the ultimate prophet. The two work hand in hand. And also as the Kajnitza Magad explains this, same idea. Moshe Kibbal Torah Messinai, the fact that God communicates with a human being, and Moshe is the one who facilitates the Torah, that's the ultimate of prophecy. And that is Messinai. The, 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 the most important quality of Moshe to receive that is the quality of Sinai. What's the quality of Har Sinai? We all know. Is that Sinai is the humble mountain. It's the power of humility. And that's what brings, and that's what channels. And the Kajnitza Magad says that to the degree of a person's humility, mamish commensurate with that is Hashra Sashchin, is the dwelling of God. This is really an essential point. The whole of Tanya and all of Hasidus is based on, the, on this idea. To the degree of a person's bitl and non-beingness, to that degree, God, God dwells in him. The Panam Yafis, the Repinchas, uh, Horowitz, the great, the, the Hafla, says uh, this idea, and he says that's the meaning of you should know in the heavens above and the earth below. He says how much how much knowledge is a person going to have that God is God in the heavens above Meaning, what kind of hasaga, what kind of sublime knowledge, meaning knowing Hashem in the heavens above, that's dependent on how much vala aretz mitachas, how close a person is to earth and to dust, how lowly a person humbles himself, lower and lower, the more nothingness a person is, the more bashamaya mimal, the higher his, his mind and his experience reaches into heaven to experience godliness. One is absolutely dependent on the other. This is one explanation from, it's brought in 
in, 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 in Sifrei Chasidus about, in other words, to generate humility, to generate prophecy, you need humility because prophecy is Hashem's humility. And they go, go in hand in hand. Or, as explained in Tanya, as we said earlier, Bittel is the keli, it's the vessel for God to reside in. Because God cannot reside in anything but the Bittel. The Mo'er Anayim, the Chernobyl Rebbe, explains it very, very beautifully. And he says that, um, you know, a person's hasaga, I mean, and, and again, in Hasidus Chabad, there is non-stop discussion on, this, on these words, but I've just sorted very clear words from the Mo'er Anayim. And he says that it was just a simple idea. He says, God is Ein Sof. And because the Ebeshter is Ein Sof, and a human being is Mugbal, is limited. And no matter how much we make of ourselves, we're still Mugbal. And how much we know, we're still limited. And how can the infinite reside within the finite? Finite is finite. And so of course, the infinite can do whatever it wants, but how can the finite receive something that's infinite if it's finite? Its limitations don't let it experience ain't self. The only way you can experience ain't self is when you become ayin. He says, everything that is something has a limit. No matter what it is, but if it's something, it has a limit. The moment it dissolves into nothingness, it's not limited anymore because it's not, it's not existing to have limitations to its existence. In its non-existent state, so to speak, by it, in its non-beingness, that's the point where the Ain Sof can reveal himself. So it's, it's two in Yana. It's to generate, it's to cause the humility of, to generate prophecy, the communication, down from above, requires humility. And it is the actual experience of the, um, the actual um, the, the ability to have the Abish to reveal himself in you, which is what prophecy is, needs the non-beingness so that you can experience something infinite. So you become not. And being that Moshe Rabbeinu is the deepest ayin, since Moshe Rabbeinu is the deepest ayin, that's why the Ani Rishon, the Ani Achron, the same letters Ani and Ayin, the, the true Ani, the true God, the true being of I am God, your God, can reveal himself in him. And that's why humility is that, is the Kali for it. Now, the Gemara says, so here's a something very, very interesting that the Lubavitcher Rebbe points out. That the Gemara, when we're saying that humility is a, a prerequisite for prophecy, the Gemara says actually two, two statements. In Mesechtis Nadarim, Davav, No, I'm sorry. The Gemara says, Hashem does not dwell his Shechina only on someone that's a Gibor, an Ashir, a Chacham, and an Anav. So there are four qualities the Gemara says that you need that God to be a prophet. Gibor means strong, Ashir means wealthy, 
Chacham is wise and humble. And the Gemara says we learn all these things from Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay, Gibar, you think it would mean it means a spiritual strength, like someone who has self-control. But from the Gemara it implies talking about physical strength. Because the Gemara, I think, learns it out from the fact that Moshe broke the luchos. The fact that he was able to physically break the luchos was, uh, was showing on his might. Asher, wealth, the Gemara proves that Moshe was a very wealthy person because God told him to excavate the luchos from diamond. And Hashem said to him, the leftover, because Hashem showed him this big chunk of diamond, the biggest diamond, they think sometimes they find the biggest diamond. It must have been the biggest diamond because from this, um, they, they made the uh, luchos, or a sapphire, or a diamond, I'm not actually, but something like that. And then Moshe excavated, and all the rest of it, Hashem said, is yours, whatever he chiseled out. Chacham, Moshe Rabbeinu was Chacham, right? And Anav, and humble. So these are, these are the four things, qualities that are needed for, for, for prophecy. However, in our Pasuk, the Pasuk, as an introduction to speaking about Moshe's incredible prophecy, the Pasuk only says humility. Not any of the other prophets. Not any other, other things. It's a sign from amongst the four, there is something about humility that makes humility more important than all the others. Now, even though there are four things that are needed, but humility stands out. But then we need to understand, so how come humility is listed just as one of the four in the list? If humility is like on a whole different level as a prerequisite for prophecy. This that humility is like the ultimate decider for prophecy, we also see in the Gemara Masechtis, Masechtis uh, Saita. The Gemara says that when Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi passed away, there's no Maruach HaKodesh amongst the Jewish people. But still they would hear heavenly voices from time to time. And the Gemara says one time, the Zekenim, the Chachamim, were sitting in the attic of Beis Guria in the city of Yericho. And there was a heavenly voice that came out and said to them that there is someone amongst you who deserves that the Shekhinah should dwell on him like Moshe Rabbeinu. That doesn't say in Sota, but that says in Sanhedrin. Like Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, but the, the generation is not worthy. They looked around the room and they said, who could this be? And they said, it's Hillel. And what was the, what made Hillel greater than everybody else? His extreme, his his his, his, his extreme, his high, his humility that he stood out more than all the other chachamim. And the Gemara says again, another time they were sitting in an attic. In um, this was in Yavne. I don't know why the chachamim were always in a attic, and all these heavenly voices are in the attic. That's why I like Mayan Yisrael. It's also up in the attic. So um, they hear this heavenly voice. And um, it says that the Shekhinah can dwell, that someone amongst you that the Shekhinah can dwell upon. But the generation is not worthy. They looked around and they said, ah, that's Shmuel HaKatan. And why is Shmuel HaKatan again? Why is he called Katan? He's the little Shmuel, because that's what he felt himself. He saw himself as the little Shmuel. He saw himself like Shmulik. That's what he was. Shmulik, little Shmuel. Okay. So you see from here that when they looked for the quality, when the moment Chachamim hear that someone is deserving that God should dwell upon him, 
they right away turn to humility. So humility, there's also an interesting thing. The Gemara discusses in Masech Tesav um, there is a list of a program for growth. If someone wants to attain high levels of... So there's a whole list. So there's two... There's, two, there's a list given, one by Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair, and one by Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. And it goes through a list of Torah brings to this, this thing brings to this. Torah brings you to a mindfulness, to uh, with the Lashon over there, is, it brings you to Zahiras. <coughs> Zahiras brings you to Zrizos. Zrizos brings you to Nikias. I'm, I'm not going to go through them. There's a whole bunch of list of things. And then it says, humility brings you to fear of God, fear of sin. Fear of sin brings you to holiness. Holiness brings you to uh, Ruach HaKodesh, I think. That's, that's the list. Reb Shua ben Levi sets, sets it differently. And he says, no, no, no. There's nothing higher than humility. Reb Pinchas ben Yair puts humility as like four things before the top of the ladder. The fourth to the top rung. And Reb Shua ben Levi puts the highest humility. So again, you're seeing over here that there's, there's, there's two enumerations of humility. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, and the Rebbe says an interesting idea, that all of this is pointing that we're talking about two different levels of humility. It's not that we're saying there is humility, okay, and then the question is an argument, how high do you put humility? There's two levels of humility. This that we said earlier, that when the Gemara Masech Sota lists what are the qualities that a person needs in order to be a prophet? It lists four things, and amongst them, humility is listed as one of the four. That's the lower level of humility. The lower level of humility is a necessary element for prophecy, but it's as important as the other three things mentioned earlier. Wealth, strength, and wisdom. And including in that is humility. That's the humility that Repinchas ben Yair is mentioning when he says that humility brings you to fear of sin. But there is another level of humility in which humility is not just one of the things required to have Hashra Sashchina, but humility is the actual attraction which brings the Shechina to dwell upon a person is humility, but we're talking about a different level of humility. And that's what Reb Shua ben Levi means when he says humility is the highest of all. In other words, we can say something like this. It is the way. There is a humility which, without it, there is a block. It, the person has something in them that's going to chase the Shekhinah away. We know the ultimate thing that chases God away is arrogance. When a person is, is haughty and full of himself, God cannot dwell. I cannot dwell where there is arrogance. So that chases the Shekhinah away. That's one thing. But it's not that this is what actually attracts the Shekhinah. That's not what makes the person. It's just if you have the opposite, which is the, which you're not humble, that's a, it's, it's a stira. It's a contradiction to Hashem dwelling. Like the other three things. It says, you're going to say, someone, a gibor, you have to be strong. There are mighty people that win, many people that are very strong, and the many people that win big uh, champions, championships, and the Shekhinah does not dwell upon them just because they're strong. So you see that strength is not, because they're strong, the Shekhinah should dwell upon them. Or because they're wealthy, there's a lot of wealthy people that don't have the Shekhinah dwelling upon them, or 
It's not that wealth and physical strength cause the Shekhinah to dwell. But if you don't have them, there is a problem and the Shekhinah can't dwell for whatever reason. It needs an explanation. But it's not that they, they're not a cause. They just, these are requirements that need to be so that you should, you should be, that one should be even in the arena to be able to have Ashra Sashchir. And in that, humility is part of them. That's basic humility. But then there is much deeper humility, where the humility is the cause for the Ashra Sashchir. It's not the same, and that's why, again, over here in our Pasik, the Torah puts only one quality of Moshe Rabbeinu before it speaks about the Ashra Sashchina, because we're talking about this level of humility. It's a, different, it's a different humility. So what level of humility are we talking about? What's the difference between the two levels of humility? So here's a very, 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 very gishmaka, very, very beautiful idea, and very important. And that is that there's actually, he says, three levels of humility. There's a third level we're going to get to soon. But the first two, which is what we were talking about till now, is what really is the simple meaning of humility? Does it really mean that a person doesn't know any of his qualities or any of his um, value? Does it mean that a person actually looks at himself as absolutely worthless? If you feel, if you, you, you see yourself as an utterly worthless nobody, what's the inspiration? What's the motivation? How do you, how do you, how do you drive? You, what do you do anything? There's a call of action. There's a need for someone to do something, but I'm, I'm worthless. I'm a nobody. It's the most detrimental thing for a human being to think of himself like he's worthless and not to know that he has qualities. As important as it is to a person to know, his chisroinus, his lacking of what he needs fixing, it's with the same importance or maybe even more important to know the qualities that he has. Moshe Rabbeinu having the greatest qualities of every human being ever lived, Moshe Rabbeinu had to know his qualities. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't insane. He knew that Hashem speaks to him every day and not to barrel the butcher and, and, and uh, whatever, Shapsi, the, the, the shoemaker. He knows that the Ebrister speaks to him every day and he knows he calls him up to the mountain. He's the one going up and down. So what does he think? So it's not like, it's not self-deception of deceiving yourself or not recognizing your qualities. The true humility comes from, on the lower level, we'll see if we'll speak on the higher level, but on the lower level, it's the simple understanding that the qualities that I have are God-given talents that the Ebrister gave me. God has blessed me with certain superior talents, very, very sharp talents and very sharp abilities, a sharp mind and a powerful heart. And more than everything else, Hashem has given me a super soul, an incredible high neshama. And Moshe Rabbeinu was aware of the loftiness of his neshama. He was born, the room became full of light. I'm sure someone told it to him. His grandmother must have said to him. That when you were born, you should have seen the light. So he knew that he had this incredible nisham. So what? What did he do for that? Hold on a second. Who el- what was his contribution to this? Did he create his nishama? 
Did he brill? Did he make that? Did he make the neshama shine? God who created the soul made that soul shine. That God who created his physical brain, put in all the screws, whatever it is that you make a brain, God is the one who programmed that brain, not him. Who made that heart? Okay, but obviously Moshe Rabbeinu did something because you have to run the program. Someone can have all the talents and not run the program. So Moshe Rabbeinu did run the program. That Moshe Rabbeinu thinks that he's pretty mediocre in running his program. Pretty, pretty, maybe even lousy. In other words, the fact that he's an incredible human being and does things that no, he splits the sea and does, brings the Torah to the world and does all these things, that's wonderful, that's incredible. That was, that was what God gave him. Now the question is, to what degree is he utilizing these powers? Moshe Rabbeinu, which is his partnership in it, over here Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, he, again, he's hard, for sure Moshe did the best and the hardest he can, but in his, whole, in his mind he feels that he did not do the best he can, because that you know, that, that's already relative, that's always questionable. And Moshe Rabbeinu is thinking simply, had God trust entrusted someone else, any of these yidden over here, with the soul that he entrusted me, and given them these opportunities, they would have taken it to a whole new level. They would have brought it to, to somewhere, could be at least. At least could be, someone would have used it much. So what is there to brag about? What? And, whatever God, and whatever God gave them, the neshamas that Hashem gave them, the abilities and the, and the powers that Hashem gave them, they're using it and they're making use of what they have to a much, much greater degree, maybe, than what I am making use with what I have. So do I have to feel higher than them? They're serving Hashem. That's the idea. They're serving Hashem by being Beryl the butcher and Shapsi the shoemaker and whatever to, to a degree with the effort and, and, and ex- maybe more than me with my effort that I'm doing. So I actually feel smaller than them. That's the humility. Coming from that, from that cheshben. There's no reason to feel, to feel, to feel higher. And every person, of course, makes this cheshben in accordance to where they are and knows this. This level of humility, however, is, a, is, is not the real depth of Moshe's humility. Because this level of humility is attributed to Bina. It says in Kabbalah, in Lakuti Torah, it says that there is two levels of humility. One level of humility is humility of Bina, and the other level of humility is the humility of Keser. I know it's Kabbalistic, but let's just explain it very simple. It's a humility coming from a person's calculation. You're making a cheshben. Essentially, you're a somebody. Essentially, you're aware of your qualities. You see yourself shining with all these qualities, with all these abilities. Now, you need to counter that. One needs to counter that sense of self-importance. So by making this intellectual calculation, you deflate the otherwise inflated self. Because like this, if, if you see that you're a person head and shoulders above everybody else, automatically you become aware of that. You become aware of that, that causes a, an inflation of I. So you need to make a cheshben to deflate the I. 
So that's, but that's, that's an exercise, just like we work on anything else. We work on bitachin, we, work, we have to work on humility. We have to tell ourselves this thing, that when I think that I've accomplished something, I need to know that whatever good there is in that accomplishment is because of the blessings that God has given me, and my input in it, okay, I, I did something, but I'm sure others with the abilities that I've had could have done much better. So that, that deflates and puts a person in place. Very good. There is actually, I mean, I do want to say it's parenthetically, I know it's getting a little late, so I want to do this very quickly. Um, the Zerah Kodesh, the Rapshitzer, says that the source of Moshe Rabbeinu's humility, we're in along the lines of what we're talking about right now, feeling that whatever was given to him was God's given. But he says something so beautiful. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu saw that all the qualities that he's been given, it's God-given, but also the idea, Moshe Rabbeinu knew that he's a neshama kailelas. He's a neshama that includes all the neshamas of all the Jewish people. So he knew that all the qualities that he has, these are the qualities of their neshamas. All he saw himself was that he is the, he is the container. He's the container that contains all of their souls. If he's the container that he contains, well, these are their qualities, they're not even his qualities. He felt so embarrassed of them in the sense that his wisdom is their wisdom because they're all included in his neshama. So when he has these brilliant ideas and creativity in his mind, that's because of these, these tzaddikim that are all part of the head of the Jewish people. And when he sees them having kindness, him being kind, it's not his kindness, it's their kindness that's just being experienced in his heart. And every quality that he saw in himself, he knew it's their neshamas. And he's just, what is he? He's just that empty sack in where all these qualities have put in, which is their milas and their qualities. And that's the meaning of he learns. Was well, this the same idea that it's, it's, he's not attributing the quality to him, but it's not just that God is giving him, he's actually giving it to the Jewish people. And that's why it says, Faish Moshe Anav, Moshe was humble, Mikala Adam. His humility stemmed, not just he was more humble than all people. His humility stemmed, Mikala Adam. From all the people. He recognized that all the quality that he has is Mikola Adam al Adama from all beings, especially over here it meant the Jewish people that are on the, on the earth. From them is what he, where he has his qualities of soul. That's why he explains that it was so amazing that when the Abishter says to, 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 to Moshe Rabbeinu that I'm going to wipe out the Jewish people, the Abishter says to Moshe Rabbeinu that I'm going to wipe out the Jewish people by the, after the eagle. And he says to him, um, I'm going to make you to a great nation. That must have been the hardest thing for Moshe to hear. Because this was going against the very, very essence of Moshe. And what Moshe Rabbeinu's answer is, Moshe Rabbeinu says, If I find favor in your eyes, ki amcha hagoy hazeh. You see that your, that, that your people, amcha hagoy hazeh, is, this nation is you. Is, is, uh, that this nation is yours. Simple meaning, it's your nation. But the Rabbeinu says, what Moshe, when the Abishta said this to Moshe, I'm going to wipe them out. And I'm, that, that was so absurd in Moshe's head. What do you mean you're going to wipe them out and make me? What am I if not the, the collection of them? What do you mean you're going to make me? And that's what he says. 
Im Emtzachim bei Nechav, I find favor. Ude eki amcha, ha goi hazeh, this goi that you said, the esa oischa, you're going to make me, le goi godel, that's amcha, that's your people. Because me, every limb of me, my hands, my feet, my, whatever you like about me, that you're saying, I'm making you into a great nation, that's amcha, that's them, because they are me. They are me. They're not them, they are me. He says that actually Moshe Rabbeinu accomplished this, that from now on, when the Abishta looks at the Jewish people, he looks at them as, as part of Moshe's neshama. He says the Pasuk, is an amazing thing, he says the Pasuk that says, from his high place, Hashem is mashgiach, Hashem looks down, it's Rasha Tevis Moshe. Mimchon shiftai hishgiach. Mem shin Moshe. Because Moshe accomplished that whenever God looks at the Jewish people, he's looking at them as they are emanating in Moshe's neshama. This gives us such an understanding of the richness of being connected to a tzaddik, to being connected to the Moshe Rabbeinu of the generation. Because then Hashem looks at you not as you, but as you are in Moshe. And when you are in Moshe, you're shining with such brilliant light. But going back to what we're saying, all of this is still a level of calculation. You're making a calculation whether all the gifts come from God or as Moshe Rabbeinu saw himself as a collection of them. But this is all an explanation to counter an essential sense of self, which is the nature of every, every entity to feel itself. Then you need to counter it and you make, a, you make a calculation to humble, as we said before, to deflate. But then there is a much deeper humility, and that's the humility of Kesser. The humility of Kesser comes from a whole different element. Kesser is a level that is experienced in the Kesser, there is no block on the infinite light. When you're living in the midst of the infinite light, and the infinite, when, when God Himself is revealed to you, and you're seeing the Ein Sof, then you don't have a problem with deflating ego, you don't have a sense of self to begin with. There is an essential essence, essential nothingness. It's like, because how can, how can someone be, it's like, what, it's what the Balshemto felt all along. It's like, there's, it's the humility of tzaddikim on a different level because they see the Ein Sof. And when you see the Ein Sof, then the, the Gemara says, Tzadikim, Lama Tzadikim doimim lifnei boiram, why are Tzadikim compared in front of their creator? Kener bifnei ha'avuka, like a flame in front of, a, a little candle flame in front of a huge inferno. So when the, you put the flame, a little candle, inside the inferno, it doesn't exist. It doesn't have an independent existence. So the Bardichever, the Kedusha Slavi, in Shir Hashirim, says that there's, pointing to this, this is what the Mamash's explanation, what the Rebbe is talking about, the Lubavitcher Rebbe is talking about, about two levels, a level of Bittel of Kesser, essentially, he calls it, the words the Rebbe refers to that is, the words of Bittel Be'etzem, someone is Bottle essentially, or someone who is Bottle Al Picheshben, based on Seichel. The question is, what's your starting point? Do you start as a somebody and you need to make a calculation to nullify yourself? Or from the very core, from the very nucleus of your existence, you're a non-entity. So the Bardichev says in Shira Hashirim, an interesting thing, he says there's two, two levels of humility. There's someone who's humbling himself, he says, by thinking of his loneliness. 
He's thinking of his lowliness, and that's why he's humbling himself. You know, what's the starting point? The starting point is I'm a somebody, and I think about my loneliness, how I didn't do this, I didn't accomplish this, I didn't do this, all the cheshbonus we made earlier. But that's negating your mitzvahs. But then he says there is a different type of humility. It comes from the experience of God's greatness. And when you, and especially if it's not just you're imagining Hashem's greatness, you're seeing the Ebershter's greatness. You see it. And when you see God, you essentially are a non-entity. You're a non-Metzius. You're Ayin Ve'efes in the presence of Ein Sof. Then you actually feel yourself lower than every human being just because in essence you're a nobody. You have no Metzius of self. That's the idea of Anachnu Ma, I'm a nobody. That's the second element where Moshe Rabbeinu was talking about That's the second element where Moshe Rabbeinu was talking about um, uh, the, the, the second element that we spoke earlier. That's the it's the humility that brings Ein Sof. It attracts. It attracts because of it, at this point the person is melted in God's light. It it, it it's catch twenty two. It comes from experiencing the Ein Sof and the Ein Sof residing within the human being at the same time. Which leads us. Oh, so that so, and that's how the Bardichever uses the words. <laughs> Take a look at this. The Ish Moisha Anav Ma'oid, Moisha Rebbeinu is an ultimate Anav. Mikala Adam Asher Al Penei Adam. More than everybody else, he was humble. Why was Moshe? Meaning his humility is on a whole different level. Why? He says the Pasik explains it. Because all other people, when they're humble, they're humble, they, they essentially are a somebody, but they're, they're humbleized. They're, they're doing exercises of humility. That's because they are alpeneha adama. Most people live on earth. Because they live on earth, so you're living in a reality of metzias, of, of beingness, so you need to make a cheshbin to nullify. Now how much cheshbinness you're going to make, you're only going to shrink yourself, but you're still going to remain a somebody. But Moshe Rabbeinu did not live Alpanea Adama on the earth. Moshe Rabbeinu's experience was in heaven. His experience is not on Adama, it's, it's, in Shema, it's in the heavens. When you're in heaven and you see God's boundless, infinite light, then you're essentially a non-being. And then you're another's on a whole different level. Comes the Rebbe, and he adds a third dimension to another. Which is just so unbelievable. This is like taking it to a whole different level. And he says there is the ultimate and the third level of the of, of anava. And that is once you become Ayanviya, and I guess it takes <laughs> it takes a person to experience this to know to know to, to be able to even say it. it. Says once a person has again, we began with an anava where where you humble yourself with calculations. Then there is the anava that comes when you're experiencing the truth of God and you become non, you're essentially a nobody. And, he's, and when, you're, when you feel, when you're essentially a non-Metzias, then automatically every thought that comes to you is that everybody's bigger than you. It's just because, because you're essentially non-existent in your own mind. But that's the second level. The third level is 
when your humility stops being your humility and it starts becoming God's humility. Where as a result of the, the Abishta residing in your neshama, you experience God's humility because the Abishta reveals himself in you. Once Hashem reveals himself in you, then the Abishta's qualities are now inside of you. So just like Moshe Rabbeinu was Shechina medaberes metoich Moshe, the Shechina spoke through him. So when his words are not his words, they're God's words, Moshe Rabbeinu's humility at a certain point stopped being his humility and it stops being God's humility. God's humility, what's Hashem's humility? And Hashem, you can't say he's humble because of a cheshben, because of a calculation, he feels himself small. Hashem's humility is just pure humility. And what's his humility? His humility is that he creates a lowly world and that he communicates with the lowly world and he's in a relationship with each and every one of us. The humility of Hashem is the humility to bend down to the lowly. And no matter how low someone is, to occupy yourself with the lowly. And there's no calculation at all. It's just because you're bending down. Hashem bends down to the... It says the act that God created the world was the ultimate humility. And the fact that Hashem speaks to a Navi, humility. The fact that Hashem hears the prayer of everybody. The fact that Hashem is not too busy to take care of any person or any hear every cry, every, every, no matter how, who, what, where, and when. There isn't a person that's too low for God to be busy. There isn't a mosquito that's too low for Hashem to occupy himself with. God occupies himself with every subatomic particle and with every because of his humility. There's nothing too low for him. And when a human being becomes one with Hashem, then, it's, then the humility becomes such a transcendental humility. It's not their humility, it's God's humility. And it's a person like that starts to occupy himself literally with every person's problem and deals with people. So the fact that a person has time for everybody and nothing is beneath their dignity and they're busy, busy, it says about Mashiach Tzedkein, who is the ultimate humble human being, that Mashiach Tzedkein was going to learn Torah and he's going to teach the most simplest of people. Even though his students are going to have, Avram Avinu is going to be a student, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be a student, the biggest tzaddikim are going to be his students, he's also going to learn with every person, even people that are such, you say, are klutz, the guy doesn't understand anything, Mashiach himself, he's not going to delegate. He learns with everybody. That's Hashem's, the fact that Moraim V'Kadosh, the Ebeshter's Moraim V'Kadosh, that's Dako Shval Ruach, the Ebeshter dwells and lives and is involved with the lowly spirit. The ultimate humility is not to become nothing in front of God, but at a certain point, there's something that switches. And now, the neshama, the person, is channeling God's humility. And that's the deepest humility. And that's a tzaddik who bends down to deal with every Jew and with every person in the world that needs help. And it's not like I'm busy learning, davening, I have my own things I need to take care of. There's nothing of me. It's just that's the ultimate humility, the coming down, 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 down to connect to every, every person, everywhere. May we merit to see 
the revelation of Mashiach and uh, all that great light. Mamish, Mamish, now. Du fährst schön heim, Herr, ich fühl deine Rei. Ich mein aber, du bist nicht gereit. Ich verrege dir, wer klappt, und du entfährst mir ich. So, sie, du bist gewähnt gerecht. Hey, wie kenn es am Mensch, also ich sagen euch sich. Sie hast es beim Magier gehört. Mir haben gelernt, kein Ich ist nicht da. Nur ein und euch in Himmel ist da. Ohne der, was halt ich an sehr, ist ein Ich. Und ich werde bis fort. Kann der Beschäfer nicht weinen mit dem, wo ich ein Ort. Hat sich unter dem Fenster der Held. Jesus, auch der Jidort, an bist gerecht. Ich hab bei dem Magid noch gar nicht gelernt und noch gar nicht gehört. Und er hat sich täglich zum Magid zurück umgekehrt. Akrecht hat sich unter dem Fenster der Held. Jetzt auf der Jidort Gnaden bist gerecht. Ich hab bei dem Magid noch gar nicht gelernt und noch gar nicht gehört. Und er hat sich der Gift zum Magid zurück umgekehrt.